All right, Brando. So last week we did the unthinkable, the unspeakable. <laughs> we said we said those three little letters that nobody was allowed to say for the longest time. The three letters that stirred up so much controversy in the scuba world back in the late nineties and really got fired up into the early two thousands. But we're learning the history of those letters of DIR and how they came to be. And even though nobody really says those letters anymore, it has made its way into a lot of just regular everyday scuba. Yeah, it's been politically, what's the word? It's It's been canceled. Is that right? <laughs> Have it, has, you know what is interesting? <laughs> it, is, it is kind of one of the first cancels. Well, it's like tearing down statues they don't like and things like that. The problem is, you know, whether you agree or not, when you start trying to uh, erase history or information or knowledge, you're going to repeat the same mistakes that that brought this about. <laughs> In other words, you're going to make it happen again, you schmucks. You you have to keep history, whether good, bad, and different. You have to keep it as knowledge, and and that's how people learn. When you you take out something you don't like and say, "I want to forget all about that," well, guess what? You're probably <laughs> gonna do. You are gonna forget about it and do it again. Right? Exactly. Exactly. I, I mean, it, it blows me away. You know. Yeah. Rather than having it as a, as a base to learn from. Exactly. You're going to try to pretend it never happened. Right. Right. What, what planet do you live on? You, you really, I don't want to say embrace your mistakes, but use them and respect them and know that that's, uh, it's all in the plan and it's all how you arrived where you're at and you should be thankful for them. Thankful they weren't worse, right? Yes, right. I mean, uh, I mean otherwise you would still have 80% of people tech diving in, in, a, ja- in a jacket BCD. Twin, right? uh, you know, isolated with a, twins. With a pony yeah. bottle strapped to their back and ankle yeah. weights in on. In a wetsuit and steels, yeah. Right, right. So last week we introduced the people to Satan himself <laughs> as, right, as somewhat depicted in uh, the fear and loathing on the internet uh, article written by Brett Gilliam. But uh, what we're going to do this week is we're going to kind of take a look back. And, um, you know, when you research George Irvine and you research DIR and and all the controversy, you're going to come across the old deep tech. It's reprinted on the TDISDI, you know, archive pages of old scuba articles. This is what you're going to get, and you're going to get all of the, like, just down and dirty, like, horrific things. You know, they, they published, like, three pages of just his, like, just <laughs> wicked, <laughs> vile posts, <laughs> you know, that uh, he was he was putting out, you know, uh, just jumping on, on these forums and, like, sending out these zingers. He was flaming them, baby. He was flaming them. <laughs> messages like stone has no business running anything is irresponsible unscrupulous and a lion sack of shit you're dealing with a collection of fat pot smoking drunken misfits dealing with anything surrounding stone is a shortages cat question since anybody stupid enough to fool with this guy is already dead the guy is a farce a lying cheating scamming conniving dishonest piece of shit how do you really feel, George? 
So you're, if you're going to sneak around behind the scenes and badmouth us, I will be glad to hammer your fat slob moronic ass right here in public. You have no business teaching anything but cow milking. So what you're saying is he doesn't have much respect for old Bill Stone. And of course, Brandon, he says, for the rest of you dumb rednecks, if you have not gotten the message, let me give it to you straight. You all need to get out of this sport and get out of our hair. And at the time, like we were talking last week, the internet just blew up. Right. Right. And uh, it was there so that at any given second of any given moment of any given day, uh, anybody could get on and just start making comments. And he was right there just pouring gasoline on the fire of of the old way. And he was pissing off a ton of people because you had so many people out there that were doing it the old way, that were doing the only way that they knew. And he was really out there trying to make a push that in many ways was, you know, 20, nearly 30 years ahead of its time. Kind of. I mean, when you look at where we're at right now, he was trying to change it much quicker than it actually happened. So, yeah, yeah. And I don't think there's, you know, I mean, I, I look back at a lot of it and, and I can understand, like, if if I was a lot of these big guys doing the big dives, you know, teaching these classes back in these days, I'd have taken a lot of personal offense, too, because I, I had my own good running record. But he was the first guy coming in telling people, saying, what you're doing is killing people. Right. Not not every single time you teach a class, but slowly and surely we're seeing it all happen again and again and again and again. Well, there's and this is and this has got to change. Yeah, there's cracks in that foundation they are are laying their diving on is the problem. And what happened with I'm going to say <laughs> I can't go out and say all of them because I I don't have the statistics to back that up, but the great majority of them 30 years later have all taken really what he was complaining about and have all changed their ways for the most part. Yeah, well, d- definitely when you look at the, the tech diving community as a whole and cave diving community as a whole, it's a different animal than it was you know, 20 years ago when all this was going on. I mean, there's still some holdover. You still see... Well, the old timers. Some of it. and Well, not even the old timers. You still well, see some of it in some of like the big agencies that just want to not be able to <laughs> niche into anything. They just want any dollar that they can take. They'll, they'll let you do anything still. Yeah. But for the most part, on the on the ground level, the, the sea grassroots level, the community overall has adopted most of these principles. Yeah, I, I'd agree. So... I mean, the, the the results are in the pudding kind of thing. You know, when you go diving, you try it that way, you try it this way. In a day where in a day. Nobody, nobody used any sort of a standardized equipment configuration. No. Everybody just took whatever they could get their hands on and, and, and took it into a place where it didn't belong. Nobody paid attention to breathing gases. They just took air because it was convenient, and they took it to the point where they were shit-faced, wasted underwater, trying to make major decisions. Yeah, there was still a lot of this, you know, helium is so hard to decompress from mentality um, just because there wasn't enough uh, history of use of it. There wasn't enough data on it, although kind of there was, I mean, in the commercial and Navy you know, military world. And then in the training world, everybody learned to scuba dive 
extremely overweighted, negative on the bottom of a pool. Nobody, and, and until you went multiple, multiple high levels beyond the recreational world where you ever really experienced, did you ever really experience anything to do with learning skills neutrally buoyant, being able to hold position and trim, not just let your bottles pull you around in any way that they, they took you? Yeah, there was no emphasis on trim, you know, real buoyancy control, performing any kind of skill mid-water, holding your space in the water. I mean, those are like the very, the very, very basic tenets of all of this is you have to have control of your buoyancy and you have to have a balanced rig in order to do that. And then you start to refine it with your attitude in the water, your physical attitude, how you are in the water to keep that CO2 down. You know, when they realized CO2 was the was the evil genius behind most of the problems when a, when an accident happens, especially going Well, deep. yeah, you're men- you mentioned uh, uh, nobody was diving a balanced rig. I mean, this is yeah. a time when people were still diving three-millimeter wetsuits with twin low-pressure 120 tanks with steel stage bottles and decompression bottles grossly, grossly, Overweighted. Yeah, the steel tanks with a with a neoprene suit. It's bad news because they're all negative. They're you know unlike the aluminums, they don't swing through a neutral position. They are all negative and they stay negative. And as you go deeper, we all know as the Great Dive Podcast emphasizes many times in our episodes, the the uh, neoprene at depth is useless and a disadvantage and and probably a factor in many problems and accidents and, you know, deaths and near deaths. So that stuff wasn't even addressed. It wasn't even addressed. And then when somebody would say, listen, you can't expect <laughs> a balanced rig in a neoprene exposure protection with steel tanks. You can't, it can't happen. See, but that's not the way George said it. Well, maybe, said, I, you know, I think... Listen, you dumb fucks. Maybe he did say it at one time like that, and then he, he got a lot of pushback, and you get, you get tired of the pushback. When you're doing all the diving and the guys giving the pushback are schmucks, you get tired of it. It's like, again, it's like children. It's like when they become teenagers. They all of a sudden know everything, even though you've been through a lot of shit. You made it through your half a century plus on a planet. And yet, this fucking teenager is trying to tell you how it's done. And you're like, okay, here we go. Here we go. And, you know, sometimes it's better you let them make their mistakes and and learn from them. But a lot of times, when the mistakes are going to be fatal, you get, you have to be like, shut your fucking mouth for a minute, take the cotton out of your ears, stick it in your mouth, and let me tell you, I've been there, I've already done it, and... It doesn't work the way you think it's going to work. Yeah, because this isn't a time when people are taking their neon yellow <laughs> Pelican BCD, light. They're taking their right, giant with a plastic, with a plastic back plate and Pelican one single light. cam strap, and they're showing up to you know want to do a, a 200 plus foot dive strapping additional bottles on trying to you know just rig something that they can get additional gas on their back i just need more gas and, man and and they're trying to make that into just a standard way and and you get people showing you know where they show up saying what the fuck are you doing <laughs> like no 
No, that ain't going to happen here. Well, and I can, I can speak from direct experience here. This was one of the, this is why I, I kind of got involved with them, and I'm so glad I did. Starting uh, traveling around the country, helping out. Back then, it was a workshop. It was a, hey, let's, you know, you're curious about this DIR that you've read on the internet or you've seen in a magazine. Uh, we'll come and we'll do a little workshop. So you travel somewhere for the weekend, and this is how the, uh, as you know, but maybe our listeners don't, but this is how the fundamentals course was developed by AG and others back in, in, in the background. But uh, traveling around doing this workshop and trying to hone it into something that could not only introduce folks, but have like, okay, you know, clearly laid out goals, you know, structured like a course, an actual course. So anyway, we would go around traveling and many of the loudmouths that were on those boards were students. Many of them were trimix and trimix instructors and cave divers even. And almost without fail, they couldn't take their mask off at 20 foot and stay at 20 foot. They couldn't share gas at 20 foot and stay at 20 foot. They, they had no go-to, you know, because in those days, you didn't have to standardize your rig in that workshop. Just dive whatever you got. Let's go down for a dive. Let's see what happens. <laughs> and it was, uh, you know, the, the music started playing. The circus music started playing in the background. <laughs> it was a DIR demo. Or well, before, before it was the, no, fun, before before it was the fundamentals yeah, but class. But even before it was the demo, because the demo is something we came up with, whereas we were very, it was a friendly, the demo actually was like a day, and we held several demos. The workshop was the fetus of the, the actual fundamentals class, and that was a three-day program where it's, it was very loosely structured like it is already, you know, or, well, it was back then. So you had a Friday night, hey, let's come in on a Friday afternoon, Friday evening class from like 6 to 10, 5 to 10, whatever, and you just go through the class and tell me about yourself. What kind of diving have you done? Blah, blah, blah. So you go through and then you say, well, this is how the weekend's going to work and we're going to talk about this, that, and the other thing. And there was really nothing taught on the Friday. It was the lay your dick out on the table. Let's see, let's see who the biggest dick in the room is. And sure enough, that schmuck would have it walloped the next day in the water. So there was a lot of, show us what you do. Let's go for a dive. Can you, can you take your mask off? Can you share gas? Let's get it on film. Now let's go review this. Now, this is what you look like. Do you, have you seen yourself before? Especially back in that day, a lot of folks never had even seen themselves underwater, much less, you know, practice doing a gas share midwater and, and pull it off, you know, semi-neatly. So, right. So as, as, as DIR starts really starts growing in these early 2000s, right. you've got people that are reacting to what George is saying exactly. on the internet exactly. and he's picking fights and he's showing up, you know, and so these divers, they're not really dealing with George on the water. I mean, they're dealing with Andrew, right? Cause he's yeah, the one George that's really running class. around the country, teaching the fundamentals to everybody or the, the world teaching the fundamentals exactly. to everybody. Yeah. So they're showing up pissed off about the stuff George is saying like, Oh, yeah. I, I've been diving for 30 years. <laughs> exactly. I've been doing 300 foot dives and, and they're showing up me? to, <laughs> They show up to AG, and AG's like, 
you don't belong in 20 feet of water. Exactly. What the fuck are you doing in 200 plus feet of water? But like, it, you can't even ascend from 20 feet uh-huh. without losing all your shit. Exactly. And he did it in such a masterful way. And again, you, you have to you have to give him the cred there. Tip, his, tip your hat to him. He, he was an artist in many respects with that. Let you lay your ticket. You know, it was the ones with the, the biggest braggers, man. It, they would just, it, it, he was masterful in the way he approached it. You know, the whole way, whole way it was set up is you go ahead, here's enough rope to hang yourself. Now let's go in the water. Now, mind you, if you could do what he could do, which was sit there in the water, take all his shit off if he wanted, you know, share gas, do whatever you needed to be done in 20 feet of water with no bottom. Or even, you know, in 20 feet of water with a silty bottom and you could still see when it was all done. If you could do that, you'd be up on film and you'd be able to take your boot and stick it in Andrew's mouth. Never happened. Ever. Yeah, not once. Even by the the, the biggest mouths on yes. these internet boards where George really laid laid his <laughs> his foundation because uh, he, he got to the point where anything that he was – he was only typing – when he was losing his mind. Yes, it was great. And and I think the George, actually the George A.G. J.J., so to clarify, A.G. is Andrew George, just, J.J. is Jared Jablonski, and George Irvine, a lot of times they call him Trey or G.I., whatever. So George, Andrew, and J.J., they had this like symbiotic relationship, you know, like they fed they fed each other, and they had a different approach. George, of course, was the, like... He was the outlaw. He was the outlaw. He was the bad cop. Right. Uh, JJ was the good cop, and Andrew was the, the guy out there who was uh, very diplomatically calling you an, a dick. <laughs> the good cop, bad cop kind of routine, which le- kind of leaves Andrew into this, like, middle ground but jj was very politically correct very diplomatic he's an intelligent highly talented diver you know who's yeah he's a uh, highly educated he's the, the the face of you know multiple businesses he had to play the role of of the good guy yeah and, and, he, and he, he easily got to do that because he already had the bad guy so it was easy to play the good cop and and come away with saying hey listen we don't agree with george uh, he's his, his own delivery. man. We just we just have to deal with him because. Uh, <laughs> well, we don't agree with him in his delivery. I don't think George, you know, until it started getting very political in the 2005 era or whatever, they started to kind of distance themselves a, a little bit. I think anyway, it appeared that way. But when you you <laughs> you look back at that time, they again seem to have this symbiotic relationship, you know, good cop, bad cop, and then this the guy out there that you could actually was the face of DIR slash GUE, which was AG. And he was uh he was charming, eloquent, and not afraid to uh let you hang yourself with the Right, rope, and at the know? same time I really had the ability to put that proof of of what he was talking about into action in the water. Right. And then show you this. You can't argue when you see it right there in front of you. You can't argue. And I've seen grown men cry in the class. You know, I'm and I hey, grown men can cry. They uh, but to be crying over your own ego because you just got you just got schooled in front of everyone after 
you came out and said how, how great you are and you're not really expecting much from this class, but you've heard about it and you had to come and see your set for yourself what it was all about. And then, boom. And without fail, you the biggest mouths, the guys with the most posts, if you will, were the biggest schmucks in the water. Because it was in those early 2000s days, it was you know, the, the cowboys looking to, to pick a fight when they would show up to a class a lot right. of times. I mean, you, you would have a mix. Like when you were teaching fundamentals back in the day, it was, a, it was like a 50% mix of people who were there because they wanted to learn and 50% of the people that fight. were there because they wanted to prove <laughs> exactly. that they didn't need to learn that you were a bunch of shit. Right, and, and that goes to another little point that I, I've always said, you know, I bring it up is everyone there at the DIR side of the room has already gone through the other schoolings. All of us, all of us. I've been, I've been trimix certed through multiple agencies before I f- went to GUE. Cave certed through multiple agencies. JJ has been the president and whatnot of multiple cave agencies. He's, he, he, of course, he was a paddy instructor, et cetera, et cetera. He, these guys aren't like, uh, okay, we just taught ourselves to dive and we don't have any background. They've already been through everything that most all of these people have been through. Right, and they were all looking for that other special connection. Right. Andrew Something's was a missing. guy out on the West Coast. He was a A-N-D-I, right, uh-huh. an, an Andy guy. You know, started off, you know, tech diving, doing super deep stuff, uh, you know, right and left bottles back in the day, right. like, like everybody else was being taught. They all came together down there in Florida realizing – we're going to make a better way. Right. Yeah, that's when I came to them. I was already INTD, full trimix, uh, NACD cave, INTD cave, full cave. So when I found GUE, I was, um, I did go ahead and take all of, take their courses all the way through to the same levels. Um, and I will say it was money well spent. Money and time well spent because... A lot of there's a lot of stuff I had to um, get a different perspective on. Now, in 1997, when all of this stuff's exploding with George, right, where he's really <laughs> taken off. So if we kind of go backwards a little bit, right, the tech diving world, I mean, it's it's springtime in yeah, the tech diving spring. world, like- right? Late February, it's, it's March, bu- yeah, it's it's budding, right? The the flowers are right. popping. It, it's just starting to grow, and there's a lot of people that are already doing stuff that, that are getting into the water. That again, they're 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 taking all that stuff that they don't know because really the, nobody really knows. I mean, it's being written right now, but there's so much ego involved when somebody comes in and says, "Wait, wait, 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 wait." What the fuck are you doing? Mm-hmm. It's it is never going to come across as um, let's explore multiple <laughs> options before we jump into being so yes. convinced that this one is the right one. Right. So th- this is where all these flights were really exploding and blowing up. And when we get back to that fear and loathing article uh, that really you know put the nail in the coffin for George in many ways throughout the industry. Uh, the issue of deep tech immediately prior to the the article where they just 
tore into him, you know, for the remarks that he made after the death of a very worldwide, you know, loved guy, uh, Rob Palmer. They did a whole interview with George and allowed him to share his deep thoughts. And they, they published it in a multi-page article, uh, uh, a Q&A interview. And I must, Brando, I must give a shout out to uh, my main man, Michael Menduno, who <laughs> came saved up. Us. Like, like saved us. He saved us. I have a shitload I, I, I have, of scuba magazines. I have a song. I have been working on this. Did you ever know that you're my hero? You know, I, I told him that. I, I did the Ferris Bueller. I was like, Michael Menduno, you're my hero. You're my hero. Thank you. Like, Michael I've got Mendino. a shitload of magazines. I mean, tons of skin divers and sport divers and alert divers and diver magazine and dive trainings and aqua cores. I've got, I think I've got all of the uh, you left advanced out your diving magazines and, and the hustler. scuba times. And, <laughs> You know, I, I've got tons, and I've got a bunch of the deep techs, and I have the the famed issue nine with fear yes. and loathing, but I didn't have issue eight, and he gave me a bunch of connections to try to find an old archive, even from you know getting a hold of old Kurt, trying to uh, see if he could have them. Nothing there, and then I, I I finally narrowed it down to the issue I needed. I was like, ah, I I gave one last, I gave <laughs> hey, one Mary. last hurrah. Yeah. I was like, listen. I go, I've narrowed it down. I go, I'm going to just try to see if it's, you know, by any chance, I've, I've figured it out. I need, epi- or, uh, I need issue eight. And uh, he sends me a picture of the, the cover. It's like, it's who you know. And I was like, <laughs> damn. <laughs> so he, uh, shout out to Michael Menduno for hooking, uh, hooking us up. With this article, Michael is uh, the co-founder and editor-in-chief over at In-Depth Magazine right now, people. One of the greatest, most informative magazines in the scuba world nowadays. If you're not hip to that, definitely check out all of his stuff over there at In-Depth. But he, I mean, he writes for, for yeah. Dan Europe's Alert Diver and X-Ray Magazine. and He's Deeper contributed Blue to and, so many. Yeah, to all, all kinds day. of stuff. Not yeah. to mention, yeah, yeah. I, I think, if people don't know, uh, he was the the person who coined the term tech diving that's him that's him that's the man so we uh we all owe a lot to him in uh, in that regard and i've never met michael but uh from all i can tell he seems like a great great guy who just loves diving he loves the whole community uh, i've met him and uh he's he's every bit as uh nice and wonderful a guy yeah, as you would ever it. expect to be you know you some people you meet and you're like, eh. That's me. I, I kind of wish I never would have met him in person. <laughs> That's I, just, me. <laughs> I wish I would have just kept that uh, image that I had in my True. head. No, Michael lives up to every bit of it. He's an yes. awesome dude. If you were to look into a dictionary for the verb to flame, <laughs> you would undoubtedly find a photo of George Irvine. This is the guy who savaged Hal Watts at a tech conference over deep air methods and once called Billy Deans an organ grinder <laughs> monkey. No, I, I have much respect for both of those people, but it's... Uh... He's lit up the internet and various dive workshops with outrageous statements, personal insults, accusations of impropriety, and along the way... Some penetrating insight and downright good advice. Although he has recently backed away from his no prisoners kick down the door rhetoric 
It's not because he is any less opinionated. He's just busier. Well, I think you can see, you know, how it can overtake your entire life. <laughs> I got to answer yeah. this. I got to answer that. I've got to. And you're, you're there on the keyboards just slamming away for eight, nine hours. The 45-year-old father of two works full-time for Morgan Stanley Dean Ritter as a bond broker in Fort Lauderdale, but routinely makes his six-hour trek to North Florida so he can indulge in his passion. He and his team are in charge of the Woodville Karst Plane Project, the WKPP, at Wakulla Springs. His team has designed and fabricated specialized equipment for the Wakulla projects that in many cases exceeds the performance of mainline manufacturers. Scooters that run longer and deeper, configurations that fail less often, and lights that burn longer and brighter. We dispatched Deep Tech correspondent Ted Hendricks to see what was on George's mind in early February. So this was... a. Uh, Early February 1997? Valentine's Day. That's what's yeah. on his mind. His sweetheart. Candy. Chocolate hearts. Those little hearts that say, I'm yours. And you know, if this, if this was February <laughs> of 2023, Brando, right, spring would be about to be sprunging down there in good old Florida. And yep. if George Irvine had the friends at Manscaped that you and I have today. He would have had some of the best tools for some of the best spring cleaning that he could have ever had back in those days. He, I mean, George was a clean-cut, clean-shaven, well-groomed man. But back in those days, they, did, they didn't do all the manscaping that we do now. His, his front yard might have had some more bushes than, uh, than we have today. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and argue with you that it probably didn't because he's hooking up. He's hooking up for those dives. I guarantee it because they were the birthers of the P-valve as we know it today. And so I know they were hooking up. So they didn't have the tools, the uh, high-tech, high-performance, long-lasting tools that we have, thanks to Manscaped. Right. Old George had to trim his pubes with those big old hedge clippers. <laughs> he, like, he used a Toro. <laughs> right, this is how this is how team diving started. You just you needed somebody else to help you clean up down there. But not with Manscaped today, people. They've already helped us tidy up all of our nooks and crannies of our body's basement. But this year, Manscaped can also help you get the perfect presentation on that beautiful face with the new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. Make sure you look. Your best this spring by using the code TGDP to get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. How are you liking your beard trimmer? Loving it. Not just liking it. I'm loving it. It's uh, it's perfect. Titanium-coated T-blades. That's what I like about it. Tough on that beard hair, but smooth on your face, Brando. And my beard here is nothing to mess with. It needs titanium-coated blades. 20 hair cutting lengths all with one guard and i use all 20 on my beard it's so complex now thank you manscaped no i have been uh, actually using it and i was just looking the other day i want to change things up you know i think my wife gets bored at looking at the same yeah you I, I, I can tell that mine. you've uh, you've yeah. got a little bit of a tighter little like uh you know george michaely kind of thing going here today <laughs> you did not go there <laughs> did you <laughs> Hey, you got to have faith. You got to have faith. That's all. (laughs) 
Get some faith, people, and uh, save 20% off and free shipping with the code TGDP at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TGDP at Manscaped.com. Focus on the face and use the Beard Hedger Pro Kit for the cleanest look in the game. So Ted's first question in this article, he says, so how did you get involved in diving? George answers with, well, my father was in the boat business, and one of his captains taught me when I was a kid. I saw it as an extra way of making money at first, and now I spend all this money to dive. It's kind of funny how things work out, <laughs> which is interesting when a lot of people look at a lot of these like figureheads in diving as like these big tech gurus, these big cave gurus. Really, for the most part, I mean, uh, I mean, most of us learn to dive in the same fashion, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was young. I took a class, and, and I learned what I learned. Right. I was drawn to it. Yeah. Like you were saying earlier, it's it, he didn't go, I want to be a DIR diver. I'm going to take up DIR diving. No. Which I would almost say in, in many ways, if like in 2023 is a great disadvantage because you, you, at that point, you're just – you're really almost as bad as somebody who was doing it "quote unquote" right. wrong back in the day because it's the old, you've never had any experience other than this one way. Right. So having learned 20 years ago a way that you can have a validation for why I don't do it like this anymore is way more valuable than having just learned it right right from the beginning. There's there's a give and take to both sides that I do Absolutely. understand. Absolutely, I'd agree 100%. I mean, you. Uh to a certain degree are handicapping the newer the newer crowd because there's something to be said about learning from experience and and that is one thing like I say I'd already pointed out this is this is how it was birthed it was through experience it wasn't like I know nothing about diving don't have any experience but I I've analyzed everything and I've got a better way it was thousands hundreds of thousands of diving hours not just thousands but uh, w- by extremely intelligent people, PhDs, high IQs, people uh, doing extreme diving and coming, looking at accidents, looking at what's at the very root of the accidents again. So after the first little fluff question. Yes, that basically that was, uh, <laughs> hey, George, how are you? Well, how'd you do? How'd you hey get George, how'd you get that? How'd you get that hair? How come you're such a soda? dick? No. <laughs> <laughs> then he jumps right into it. He says, "When I when I hear your name mentioned, I think of three things: the Wakulla Project, the internet, and controversy." So let's talk about the controversy first. What is your fascination with silting up the water? George answers by saying, well, the controversy has helped me sell about 700 copies of Doing It Right, a how-to book on equipment configurations, which raises money for the WKPP. I use the internet as a tool for finding new team members with specific technical backgrounds, all of which is generated from responses to the dive reports we post after a dive in Wakulla. However, at times, I argue and intentionally antagonize people to stir up the pot. This is a good way to get great ideas and interesting responses from people. There are other ways I would suggest. (laughs) I don't know if it's the the best way, but it is a way. I mean, in the in the late nineties, uh, you f- you just get this. Like you know that if you're going to go to, you know, do anything in in the garage around the house, you get you go to the 
the hardware, so you pick up that one new tool. Yeah, you're gonna try to use it for everything, <laughs> you know, because it, it, it's it's new. You you, you just invested uh, into it. Maybe the young because like, he's got yeah. this internet at his fingertips. It's so easy to use. Yeah, you know, you could be in your underwear and just <laughs> get up and just start going. It, it's so easy. I, I understand it. Yeah, I, I think a lot of our listeners probably weren't around, or at least you know, consciously aware of the birth of the internet when it happened. And uh, yeah, that was opening up all types of new ways to gain information and insight. I guess that's one way: is you go onto a a forum board and uh, you know stir the pot, if you will. And I'm going to say that there's a lot of people, and I think Ted here even a little bit in this next question, they enjoy, as long as they weren't on the receiving end, they enjoyed stirring the pot. Well, it's a show. It's the show. I mean, everybody likes a little drama, don't they? To a certain extent. I mean, that's why we watch television. That's why you, you have those shows. Right. Everybody everybody likes going to the comedy club to, to True. And listen, comedy. listen to the comedian until he spots you in the spotlight <laughs> and, right, and starts making fun of your T-shirt right, exactly. and, and calls you out. Then all of a sudden the show's not so funny anymore right. when he's laughing about me. Recently, you made an infamous statement about a training agency and the ridiculous number of courses being offered. You referred to it as soaking the diver, and you punctuated it by saying that everyone should take at least one underwater nitrox modeling course. Care to elaborate? (laughs) And George says, open your eyes and read some of the advertisements. We are the best. We are the future. I feel like I'm watching the Jim and Tammy Baker show. The WKPP was technical diving long before these guys claiming 30 years of experience did their first gas dive. To begin with, the advantage of a training agency is to gain the experience and confidence of different diving situations while having an instructor looking out for you. But what if your instructor is a dope? And this crap about a student having to supply a certification card for a million different programs leading up to the one he wants to take is total crap. And don't forget the million overpriced textbooks you have to buy along the way with the average profile of today's recreational diver in mind. This is acceptable. Technical diving is different. At times, we are faced with divers who have years of experience in all levels, but don't possess a formal C card for everyone. Now, we've got a diver that is prevented from learning and getting good information due to time, money, and an agency that sets these ridiculous standards. He asks, a lot of people agree with you about the mass number of cave instructors created within the last couple of years. To quote you recently, if you've got the money to pay, they'll let you play. And George says, let me start by saying the purpose of cave diving instruction is to improve diving skills and learn how to deal with difficult environments that could be encountered at any time. However, the recent creation of so many cave instructors leads to mediocrity. Eventually, too much addition leads to a dilution, and that means somebody dies. For cave diving, apprenticeship-type programs need to be the first step, followed by an active participation in cave diving. There are too many cave instructors that haven't even done any real diving. 
Therefore, you're going to encounter more problems or mishaps. Mediocrity. Right. Yeah. I mean, and this is the, the, the same thing that you know, we've been talking about in the, the recreational scuba world, too. I remember like, guys back in these days that went down to Florida to do a trip, came back talking about it, went down again to do a trip, came back to the dive set to tell me about it, and, and also to sign me up for a class because they were already instructors. <laughs> So, I mean, I I remember this, and you still see it today. You do. You do, yeah. I mean, it's if anything, you might see a little bit more of it. George says, I believe better instruction comes from someone who is active, not from waving a magic wand over your head and charging a ridiculous fee. These people need to wake up and start shopping around. And I don't mean Soldier of Fortune magazine either. Some of these instructors walk around as though they're in the military, wearing combat boots and camo shorts and answering questions with affirmative or negative. Grow up. <laughs> Get a G.I. Joe doll or something. Affirmative. Divers will drive their Copy cars that. into the... Copy that, chief. <laughs> Divers will drive their cars into the ground trying to save 50 cents on an air fill but plunk down their life savings on the first advertisement they read that says, I'm the best, or we are the future. Dummies. And there are way too many dishonest equipment salesmen posing as instructors. These guys have no regard for equipment application. So I, I think he brings up a lot of points that we've brought up on the show, and others have brought up other people in articles. And this is not a... Uh you know, an out there point of view. Maybe it is at the time. It's just being brought out to, to people's attention. But I think people in the dive industry and in the dive community that have been there and do are doing the dives, they know all about this. They know the saturation of mediocrity into the market is leading to dead people. They know it. Right. And, and, what you were going to find out, you know, a few years later with what we were just talking about with the fundamentals is, yeah, you've got people that are doing stuff way beyond their ability. Way, yeah, way beyond their ability. A lot of them need to go back to square one and just, you know, or a lot of them needed back in that day. They needed to just go right back to square one and approach it with a uh, a critical thinking mindset, not just whatever works for you. Even still today, where, where you've got people that don't belong in there, that still are struggling to maintain neutral buoyancy, maintain control of themselves in the water, hand swimming to, to cover any ground, that is the level of mediocrity that he's talking about. It is. That keeps getting perpetuated. And this is 30 years later, and it's still happening. I mean, you have to learn somewhere. Although you might be think you're prepared for a cave class, <laughs> till you get there and see you know everybody thinks they have neutral buoyancy down but when you get into like i say a cave class which is probably the apex of buoyancy skill uh requirements you don't know what buoyancy control really is until you're in one of those courses that's my personal opinion i mean you're welcome to have your own but well, you know my own. My own yeah, is yeah. I, I believe you should have, you know, everybody should have some it. training yes. that requires you to learn neutral buoyancy first, right? Foremost, rule one, baby. Learn it, 
know it, understand it, understand your body, and then start adding some underwater skills. Right on top of, on top of that base. That's again. That's the, the that's the solid foundation. Without a solid fi- foundation, everything you put on top is at risk for caving in on you. Forgive the pun. So with buoyancy control being a huge brick in that foundation. And I think the the biggest problem that we have in in scuba is at the same time it's this amazing sport that can take us to do this cool stuff at the same time it's, it becomes a business. And and when it becomes a business and money gets involved in the instruction, yeah, quality goes out the door because quality costs money because quality takes time and time is money. So when they when you start cutting things in the uh, interest of raising profit margin, you are going to, again, couple it with the mediocrity of coming in of the instructorship because they continually decrease the standards to get into an instructor class because they want the money. More instructors mean more money for the agency. End of story. He asks, you've got to agree that some form of commercialization is necessary to make this all possible. And George answers, obviously, the industry needs growth, but don't soak these guys so bad up front. Running a dive shop is damn hard work. When you take all their money in the beginning, they don't have enough to operate. This forces them to sell a bunch of worthless crap to some sucker who doesn't have enough money left to get the right stuff. Work with them. And build a long-term relationship. And what about these guys that pay an agency they have to compete against? There's a novel concept. Imagine being on a boat with an open water class and seeing the owner of a paddy or Nawi out there taking business away from you. Open your eyes. I've gotten a feel for the quality of instruction that has been circulating. I'm not happy with what I see in many respects. I don't think there's much argument you can give against that. End of story. I mean, that... Of course, you're going to get people who throw out stats in your face. And again, you know, there's little white lies, big, bold lies, and then statistics. They're all bullshit. You can make your stats say whatever you want, and that's exactly what they do because those stats don't include all the near deaths at all. All of the incidents, all of the... They also don't show the real numbers that they're, you know, the real total numbers because... So many in our community get in and leave immediately. They never stay, and yet those numbers keep counting in the numbers of total divers. Would right. Those are like all all those people that got certified, dove once, got the living shit scared out of them, and never go- right. dove again. Count towards the statistics of, of successful divers that never got in. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, when right there is is manipulating the fucking numbers – it saturates the, the total base number with with inaccurate, untrue numbers. And it, it would probably be next to impossible to get a true statistic as far as the number of near deaths or the number of incidents that happen or occur in comparison to the total number of dives going on. It would be impossible. 
Now, part of the problem is in this in these days in these nineties. I mean, this is the time where money is really coming in, into the diving industry. Yeah. There's a yeah. big like commercialization. They're trying to make scuba as big as the ski industry, as big as the golf industry, wow. and right. And then you've got these these guys out in Florida that are. In a garage, you know, bending a piece of metal to 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 build a, the equipment, plate, yeah, and making their own, you know, canister lights and using whatever they've got available. But they're, you know, it's being done by engineers and very smart people. Ted says not every diver has the desire to penetrate two miles into a color. So, what do you think the objectives of a technical training agency should be? George says. Start with consumer-friendly textbooks. Don't hide your inability to build a good program by stuffing a bunch of charts and graphs into a book. Plain language text without a bunch of Obi-Wan Kenobi existentialism helps, too. Show the students how to efficiently use their money when buying equipment. A $700 BC is not the answer. Neither is a set of doubles on a guy who's never had anything but a single aluminum 80 cylinder before. Get a clue. And we should say that in 1997, the average BCD was three, $400. Right. So a $700 BCD was an obnoxiously high-priced BCD. I mean, I know today you walk into a dive shop, the jackets <laughs> range from like five to $800 right. as a normal BCD. You know, even a backplate and wing is pushing you know 900 bucks or so, but that's 30 years later. Right. And the other interesting part of all this of what he had said prior was the uh the time frame we're looking at so we are just coming out of the period where patty was and i will say patty because it was patty patty was putting pressure on everyone to kill nitrox and if their instructors were caught using it they would have their numbers revoked all of these things were being done and then someone smacked him in, in the face and said, you can make a, a bunch of money off of this. They totally reversed their viewpoint, embraced it. And then we started with the, the, the quote unquote deep tech classes or whatever the fuck that tech classes that they have. Well, sure, because it became learn nitrox and then right. learn yeah. advanced nitrox and learn super nitrox right. and, and learn recreational mix and deep, and deep air, deep air mix. with a deep air with a espresso shot. Well, they started embracing the trimix because they could see how much money they could make. Um, and then you had instructors that were teaching it that had no business teaching a technical class whatsoever. And they carried over into their technical classes the same methodology that they used in their recreational, which is get on your knees. Except now we got twins and a stage bottle and deco bottles on us. But get on our knees and do our shit. You can't you can't do that. Well, this is because you're diet. at a time where like they're gonna bring in this whole new side to the business. But they don't have anybody to teach it. Didn't matter. So it didn't if, matter. if they're gonna right, if they're going to like do it organically, it's gonna take another fifteen years of, of teaching and building that experience for people money. to actually learn how to do it. That's gonna take way too long. So everybody just gets pencil whipped into becoming an, a technical instructor now because they paid the additional uh, membership yes. fee. And additional insurance. And, and, and this is the issue, dues. you know, George back in the day, you know, was very much anti-rebreather, but he was anti-rebreather for the same exact reason is here you got these guys that, 
you know, they're, they're designing these products and then they don't have anybody to teach them. So they themselves become instructor trainers and salesmen at the same time. And they're learning and, themselves. <laughs> Not to interrupt right. you, James. But at the, and, and this is where I think, you know, George has a lot of, you know, ground to stand on is he's the first guy saying, whoa, like this, this is not right. Like you, you can't do it like this. Well, I think here's a man with conscience, a conscience and values. You can't say there's anything other than the number of dead people motivating him to get so angry. And because the number of dead people on a, on a given week, like I say, back in the day, you go to Gilboa. Somebody's being medevaced out. Somebody's yeah. dead. And George was the guy down in down in these caves that was out pulling out bodies. Exactly. Yeah. They it, and his own friends too. I mean, he people that he knew. So I, I think it gets it becomes a source of uh, mo- motivation that can be misconstrued as like hatefulness. But I think it's just trying to. In his defense, I can't pretend to be in the guy's mind, and, and I know he said some crazy things. But So they move on to talk about the Wakulla Project a little bit, and Ted asked him when did he first start. George said that the government first allowed us to dive Wakulla in 1991 in order to complete some water testing and exploratory dives. And he asks, some say it's the greatest cave dive in North America and maybe even the world. What do you think? George says, well, actually, Leon Sinks is probably the best cave in North America. There is no traffic and about 100,000 square feet of cave, and there are about 25 entrances. What more could you want? Ted asks him, well, then, what is it about the Wakulla Project that drives you so much? And George answers, probably because of its size and the extensiveness of the system. The ballrooms are huge. Unfortunately, Wakulla has less and less clear time. Everyone thinks Wakulla is so clear. We just film the clear areas. This might make it look too easy, but for us, it is. It's just too easy. For us, <laughs> it's just too easy. Now, th- this statement makes me go, you're an arrogant schmuck. What the and hell? He, he is. No doubt about it. He says, you've got to understand, we have 18 gas divers on the project and about 60 more support and scientific divers involved. This is an immense operation. And with all of this in mind, we still complete about 25 dive series a year. What's the average conditions like, he says? George says, as I was saying, the spring tunnels average about 150 feet of visibility, but conduits vary from 10 to 80 feet. But most of the diving has less than 10 feet. In fact, some of the dives are horrifying. At one point, in order to prove the connection to a disputed piece of property, we had to dive a two-foot-high clay restriction for 150 feet in 285 feet of depth with zero visibility. Think about that one. It's not always as nice as it looks, but we do it anyway. This is routine for us, even though this is bigger than anything else ever done. And Ted asks him to define safety. (laughs) Define woman. (laughs) George says well Bill Stone and those guys proved what doesn't work trying to dive deep caves on air is insanity I don't care who you are deep air diving in a cave is dangerous 
How sharp can you be in 285 feet with 3,000 feet of overhead environment between you and the surface? And personal preference on a dive team is completely counterproductive. Choose the best for the job. Safety is the utmost concern. Teamwork is our trademark. I think this that paragraph right there says so much. I mean, even Sheck was trying to defend deep air in caves. Right, and Sheck was on Bill Stone's team right. on that on the on the, the previous to the WKPP. It was the Wakulla Springs project that went on for a few years. Right, and uh, Sheck dove with George as well. I mean, uh, it's not like uh, they're they're not doing the same stuff. They're doing the same right. stuff. I mean, they're all diving in the same area right. at the same time, and and Sheck was a deep air guy. And he eventually came around to the helium, obviously, because he's doing. You know, he's attempting those world record dives, and he had to go to helium to get it done. He recognized that is the only way these deep, deep dives are going to be done and, and people are going to live through them is you have to change the gas mixture, and helium is a logical mix of choice. So, And when uh, you're at a time where these guys are doing these dives, pushing 300 feet on the, on the regular and coming out safely for – long long duration dives on open circuit this is not like today where every you know joe john dick and harry kind of guys and and henrietta i guess they're all getting breathers you know right from day right. one and and doing three and four hundred and five hundred foot dives but that long-term duration he can really clearly see that 3,000 feet of penetration in an overhead in, in 285 feet of water. You just don't have the mental capacity to be able to work and do the stuff that you're doing, which is when he starts picking fights with the, the deep, deep wreckers out, in the, out on the East Coast, wreckers that are doing 280-foot dives on air, swimming along a 500-foot-long, maybe, right. ship, right, and telling them, hey, listen, We've realized that you can't do this anymore. There's a smarter way. These are where all these little fights started. The, the embers just started to smolder. Right. Where, where, where the fight really starts to begin. So, I mean, knowing what we know right now, especially, we know the, the uh, and we knew it, they knew it back then. We know about carbon dioxide and its relationship to going deep, how the partial pressure of CO2 just like everything else. So you've got a very small window of allowable CO2, which means you can't be building up CO2. But deep air is like breathing syrup, which makes inefficient gas exchange, extremely inefficient gas exchange, not to mention you have to work harder just to move the gas in and out. So it's all a vicious cycle. And looking at it now, you're like, there's no argument. There's no argument that can for deep air other than it's cheaper. That's the only argument you got, and if that's is, your is argument, cop, uh, yeah, you're you know you're you're on top of paper cups as your podium. He says, "I know you guys are doing some pretty radical stuff. What is the average depth and penetration on these dives?" He just told you, <laughs> two eighty-five with three thousand. <laughs> he says the average depth and extent of penetration are all relative to our overall objectives. What most people don't realize is that we are not a bunch of daredevils out trying to break all these records. We've got a job to do, and the records just seem to be a byproduct. But don't forget, I've got a great team of divers 
guys like Jared Jablonski, Brent Scarabin, Rick Sankey, and Barry Miller. These guys are there with me doing the stuff these other instructors are just talking about. What exactly, Ted says, are the objectives of the Wakulla Project? George says water quality management. In other words, prevention of non-point source pollution, which is threatening the system's visibility and quality of water. Most of this pollution is a function of inadvertent surface water runoff, such as diversion in the wrong areas. With the cooperation of four state agencies and three federal agencies, we are trying to locate and identify the intrusion of NPSP, so, non-point source pollution. Right. So he listed, like, we're diving with very talented divers, and then he just named, like, four... What if you're one of those other divers? Like, what about me, George? <laughs> right. What the you fuck? just said there was 70 people involved <laughs> in that. I mean, you only say four are talented. Wait a minute. So how do you deal with the bureaucracy of so many government agencies? George tells them the bureaucracy of diving is worse. Now that, hold it. <laughs> that right there says so much. And this is, you know, <laughs> right there. He's- He says, I've got equipment manufacturers sticking their noses in my business trying to shut me down. One guy even called Morgan Stanley complaining about me. Everyone around just laughed at the guy. The government has been extremely cooperative to work with. In order to continue our project at Wakulla, we have to submit permits with a letter of intent to continue. Basically, it's a memo of understanding to the U.S. government. We deliver the goods, and they tell us that's more than most of their contractors do. So they keep renewing our permits, right? So in a, in a time where everybody's out beating their chests and bragging and starting agencies to, to teach deep technical scuba diving just based off of record setting, these guys are down doing a dive for a purpose, completely unassociated with, with record attempts, yet the only way that they can get that next bit of information and data that they need to collect <laughs> They just happen to pull off a huge world record. Yeah, interesting how that works. Which is how the whole system kind of evolved, right? You couldn't have somebody down there in that environment completely outside of that same team mentality trying to just jump along on a 300-foot dive nearly a mile back in a cave of overhead penetration. Yeah, so they're out there getting the job done. I think that... It's part of the, you know, the root of the the anger, anger and vitriol is you're having to argue with schmucks online that aren't doing what you're doing, yet they are telling everybody how it's done and telling everybody that you really don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Well, hold it. Hold right. In it. A time and it's where costing lives, your, your, their big mouth. Right. In the, in the time where the deep air record holders are trying to go to hundreds of feet of depth to grab a tag off of a line and come straight back up. These guys are going to hundreds of feet of hundreds of feet of depth to work a job, spend a, a considerable amount of time, have to stay mentally focused, collect the data, succeed in doing the actual job and not fuck it all up. Right. So they're doing it in a completely different way. Yeah, it's it's practicality versus ego. It's uh doing a job for the good of the caves, for the good of the cave community, for that matter, and the state of Florida. And probably, I mean, when you start looking at their study of how the groundwater travels into the cave systems and creates the caves and 
what basins are being flooded with fertilizers and chemicals and other, you know, runoff from roads and how is that affecting the karst environment, which karst just means the limestone cave environment that the state of Florida really floats on. So they're doing actual real work. And yeah, and the drinking water for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, oh, all in that millions. southeast United States. Right. They're not just, just like you said, they're not just uh, trying to get a, a patch on their goddamn jacket so they can go and uh, teach a new class. Ted says you have also publicly voiced an opinion about methods of equipment configurations, George's way and the wrong way. George says, I start my configuration with the thought of how do I get out of trouble, not how to use gear that doesn't work. If I start my thinking at the end of the line in a cave and work my way backwards, then I'll come up with the right answers. Most people are looking at it the other way around and trying to solve a perception of a problem that's not a problem. There you go. I mean, that's, uh, that's a big part of the, the whole quote-unquote DIR system is you, you reverse engineer versus going in and, and trying to imagine the things that could go wrong and then then you start and adding, adding shit. Yeah. And adding and adding and adding. Right. I might run out of air. Let's add a pony bottle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Let's it's, strap it's it on the thing. back. Let's with uh with stainless steel hose clamps and, and I'll never be able to, <laughs> to figure out what's going on there. And then I'm gonna right. go alone into a cave. So I better take a second pony bottle because I'm gonna be alone. That's my buddy, right? Pony boy. Versus going the, the reverse engineering he's talking about is going when I'm all the way at the back. What do I have to have to get both of us back home? Should the shit hit the fan, right? And then we just we take that to begin with and eliminate all the extra silly bullshit that everybody keeps adding. Well, there you go. Ted asks, what is it you see as the most common mistake of the average cave configuration? And George says, trying to accommodate one phobia or belief at the expense of the rest of the configuration. A good configuration is integrated throughout. A bad configuration solves one problem. And causes 10 more. But mounting a light, for example. This causes at least 14 problems in order to satisfy the mistake and belief that it causes less drag. <laughs> the old butt mounting the light. Done it. Yeah. Here's the thing with the butt mounting the light. The light is part of the whole balanced rig as well because it was considered ditchable weight. It's extremely negative, especially in those days. So you had to have it ditchable. If you can't ditch it, you're way overweighted. Those lights, especially the 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 big ones we would wear that give us an hour and a half, two hours of burn time with a hundred watt halogen or fifty watt halogen, those those lights were giant, had big batteries and were very heavy, like six, eight, ten pounds negative. So you had to have the ability to ditch it if you had had to ditch it, you know, to to get out. If everything failed, if your buoyancy failed for whatever reason. But a lot of guys at the time were permanently hard mounting them to their rig. Yeah. Well, yeah. They they'd mount them with uh, you know, the stainless steel hose clamps to the side either side of their bottles on their back or to the butt. The butt mount was pretty famous because they believed, oh, it's it's hidden behind, down behind the bottles when you're in a horizontal position, and it's much more streamlined that way. The problem is they're permanently mounted there. You can't release them should the shit hit the fan, and you're always sitting on them 
when you get out of the water or go into the water. Very difficult to get ready with a butt-mounted light. Well, that's why I dive with two wings. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you see how the problems, like the things that they were saying is, okay, this solves this problem, but creates another problem. So we'll add another piece of equipment to solve my problem. And Wait, are you saying two inflators isn't an improvement well, to the system? And now we start talking about multiple failure points. So just remember, the more complex you make your system, the more failure points you put into it. And they... The more complex you make it, I mean, simple, you know, the KISS method is is what you want underwater because when the shit hits the fan, you're not going to go through a whole algorithm and matrix of what do I do now for this particular circumstance. It just doesn't work that way, especially if you've ever been through shit hitting the fan or watched people when the shit hits the fan. What's the first thing to go out the door? Their brain. Their brain. The thought process. The thought process goes out the door. It's in bubbles out the mouth. Ted says, you've recently begun working with rebreathers. Your thoughts on this technology? And George says, they should replace open circuit. However, we have too many unqualified players in the game. Some of these other guys look like they're peddling a high school science project. As long as we have manufacturers who test their equipment, publish standards, and, and deal from a platform of making a piece of equipment that is usable, they will be successful. The charlatans will be wiped out. You hope. He says, oh, yeah, yeah. He says, what unit are you working with now, and do you want to throw in some words for the sponsor? George says, it's the Halcyon, but I'm not about selling equipment. I'm about selling a service. It either works or it doesn't, and there's no in-between with me. We are working with the unit, and it appears to be an extremely useful tool for the right application. You have to want to dive it because there's work involved. However, I think it pays off. The manufacturer's focus is primarily on the commercial market with some technical applications, and I'm sure its uses will expand. The Halcyon is designed by Jack Kellen and built by a reputable company in Florida. We've had good success with it, and I'll continue to update you on our progress. But just to let you know... We hold all of the U.S. cave diving records on rebreathers. And it goes without saying that we hold all the open circuit records as well. I like, Brando, how he was saying there that with the rebreather being a tool for the job, you have to want to dive it because there's a lot of extra work involved. Yeah. Whereas, you know, and I think this is kind of what he was alluding to, especially at the time, but even still today... Right now that everybody's manufacturing these things, they're trying to make it sound so simple and so easy. Why do you think they're... And this is why you've got people that just got certified that are already in 350 feet of water. Right. Well, why do you think they're... Why do you think we have a growth in the manufacturing? It's because they're a high-end item. There's a big profit margin on them, right? Uh, The technology is not... It's not new technology. It's been around. It's just you need a a reliable design with reliable components and service availability. You need people... In reality, it's been like... it's. I mean, the technology's been around longer than scuba. Right. Exactly. I I mean, diving a breather, to me, well, it's kind of like a a stick shift versus automatic. You got to want to drive. You got to know how to drive. You're driving when you when you're diving a, a breather. You really have to be in control of uh, all parameters of the dive. 
at least used to. Now they've got breathers coming out. I mean, they're out there if you want them. They'll do everything for you. It's all electronic. Beep, 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 beep. Go up, go down, whatever. Right, which is why you're getting people way beyond where they need to be mm-hmm. in the water column. Right. One in two years of diving, and they're down at 400 feet. You've got a lot of what cave divers want, Ted says. The Wakulla Project. When do you think you'll give it up, and what do you think is the future of Wakulla? And George says, we will continue WKPP research on an ongoing basis because of ever-changing conditions. The continuous flow of information needs to be fed into the database. And the only way to do this is to make these dives on a regular schedule. We've guaranteed our clients a steady flow and supply of qualified personnel for an extended period of time. And as for the future, the ultimate success is trying to find natural cleanup solutions for drinking water resources and sewage injection wells. If we can find the natural way groundwater cleans itself, eventually we will be able to reproduce those agents on a commercial level. Imagine the potential. In the meantime, we're training divers to carry on the torch. We're looking into the future. Somebody's got to take responsibility. Ted says, where do you see yourself in 20 years. George says, oh, hell, I'll probably always be out there diving somewhere. It kind of gets in your blood. Remember, diving is a hobby for me, and that means it's got to be fun. If that ever changes, I'll find something else to stir up. <laughs> yeah, that was always his thing. He didn't have to be an instructor or anything like that, and he didn't want to be. Just because the business of diving is so ugly, it's so it takes something we all love and it just pollutes it with uh the me again the the cheapness and mediocrity of marketers and lawyers and all the i'm sorry if you're a marketer or a lawyer i mean there's a place for it but they they come into diving and they've done they only do uh what it takes to make money without the you know those um core values of, of diving which is you know the environment and the challenge and and doing it right, doing it well, you know, challenging yourself. Ted closes out by asking George, what do you want to be remembered for? George answers by saying. <laughs> calling <laughs> calling Billy Deans an organ monkey grinder. <laughs> or I don't know, a monkey organ grinder or a grinder, whatever. <laughs> he says, I'd like to be remembered as the industry's wake-up call. And I think he has been to a great extent, wouldn't you say? Or no? Uh, well, when, when you and I are able to look back on this 30 years later, and, and thankfully, like, we're, we're at a point where we're able to bring this back, right, to the people 30 years later. Right. Because I think for the last 20 years, everybody has tried to disassociate from George and from DIR, and they're forgetting a lot of, you know, where they come from. Where, Don't forget where your they roots, come from and, and where And what George was going up against, because the only thing that they're going to remember is what happens next. And Rob Palmer dies and George calls him a dumb fuck mm-hmm. and uh, who deserved it. And that's it's the only harsh. thing. It is damn harsh. <laughs> no doubt about it. I mean, I mean you, that's, some, that's some cruel, heartless fucking shit to say about somebody that, that just passed away. Somebody who was beloved in in the industry, in the whole community, the deep diving community, the tech diving community, the cave diving community. He was loved around the world. And to come out and say that to him, you know, 
I understand what he was saying, but he he just didn't have a, a an eloquent way of, of wow. saying that. And I think if he had, you know, this would have been a totally different game. But that's what people, the whole yeah. entire world remembers about George and DIR, unfortunately. Tough love is a, is a tough thing. And sometimes it has the opposite of effect of maybe what he was desiring. Because, yes, when you you disenfranchise people or you 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 put something like that out there some people are not even going to look at your message anymore right and w- which is exactly what happened exactly right yeah. and that's where you know the the cognitive dissonance comes in and everybody who thought differently even if they were on the verge of starting to to understand what Examine, he was saying yeah. immediately are going to go right back to the old way and say yeah. i am staying as far away from this as i possibly can yeah, that's definitely a uh, possibility when when you come out with that approach. Ted says, uh, as, a, as a note at the end of this article, he says, As I pulled out of his driveway, I stopped for a moment and looked back at George. There he was, a king in his kingdom, working on another customized product for the Wakulla Project. He probably doesn't want me to write about it, but he's actually a nice guy. A family man with deep religious convictions who works tireless hours for the nonprofit House of Hope. And he's a very successful bondbroker. But as he waves goodbye, I see that look. <laughs> There's no mistaking it. He's still the bad boy of diving, and I know he's going to silt the water up again. And only figuratively. Very and very soon, and very soon after this, yeah. this was published, the proverbial shit definitely hit the fan. Good times, James E. Good times, yeah. Yeah, so hey, Brando, that, um, that is... Another doozy. Another doozy, right? I mean... Uh, the inter- the interview with George Irvine, Mr. Controversy, shares his deep thoughts. Once again, huge, huge thank you to Michael Menduno for, for getting that article to us to bring to you guys. Because this is something that, uh, you, it's, it's a hard one to find. I mean, Well, yeah, and it gives a, uh, a different uh, view into the uh, mindset of a very controversial figure that really did change the entire dive community period uh, and definitely not single-handedly but he was a major force or a major ingredient in that change and um without it i don't know where we'd be i don't know where i'd be if i'd have stuck with it i mean i love diving but the whole the whole time i continued to pursue cave and deep mix and whatever i was pursuing there was a missing ingredient missing ingredient and um i kept searching and searching thank god i found these guys in the you know mid 90s mid to late 90s and um i'm still which is the main yeah. reason why you why you're still here doing this 100 percent, a you huge re- huge factor 100 percent, dude and i mean i mean we uh we make a big deal about this in the in the dive community but i'm telling you i mean you know these these fights in internet guys. You know back in the uh-huh. internet. If you if you explore the internet, I guarantee you in any topic, you know. Yeah. Handguns, guitars, gender, uh, running shoes, <laughs> uh, food, Politics. you know uh, how to how to make an omelet, religion. Uh, yeah, you you know this is a, like a fight. Like once the internet hits, it's it's all you know, no holds barred. 
Well, there's, I think also what, what makes it more, what's the word, sensitive is the fact that diving is a passion for many people. I mean, people are not just like, oh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just a die, you know, I'm just going to try diving a few times. The people in diving have a passion for it. As a matter of fact, they've a lot of them have forsaken all other aspects of life. You know, it's like right, exactly, cost, yeah. Cost their wife, their home, their businesses, whatever, but they keep diving because it it grabs a hold of you and it keeps drawing you in. And the problem though is the industry was built on the other 99% of people, the people that are going to get in, give it a try, get as much gear out of them as quickly as you can because you know that they're leaving. And they look at the people that have the passion for it and they go, oh, that's 1% of the industry. Ignore what they're doing. Yeah, but they dictate what's going on. That That's the other side of it. Is I'm with you. They dictate the the, the tempo, the, the fucking makeup of the scuba community. So it it's... You've got to have the yin-yang. You've got to have the marketers versus the passion people. You've got to have... Well, of course you, know, you do. You have it everywhere else. Right. Why wouldn't you also have it in diving, which just blows me away of why people in diving think that that part of it should be gone. But no, it's, no. It's in everything. There's a it's, place for it. It just shouldn't, yeah, have, of course it shouldn't have the louder voice, in my opinion. The louder voice should be by the, those doing it and um, not necessarily that those agencies that are basically run by lawyers and marketers. Well, Brando, I don't know about you, but I am all out of my cup of cracking coffee. Word. I'm going to have to go over and get to the abyscoffeeco.com and put in my code TGDP10 and order me some more. And you people out there should do the same. Brando, um, I think we're going to still talk a, a little bit about Georgie next week. Uh, so I don't think we have any logbooks this no, week. No, let's not sign a logbook because this is a great conversation. I think it's information for the our newer base of divers, meaning the divers coming in in the last 10, 15 years. Who have never even heard no. these two terms, George or, or DR. It's, it's fun stuff. It's interesting stuff. And like everything that Great Dive Podcast has been doing for these last 300 and some shows... It's the real history, like it or not, like the guy or not. This is real history of how we got to where we are. We're not about canceling. We're about exploring and thinking. And that's diving right there. All right, everybody. We will talk to you once again next week. Until then, 